First Peter, we won't miss that. <laughs> First Peter, if you have your Bibles, your apps, your um, whatever, you know, there's Bibles in the pews, you're, you're going to want one. You're going to want a Bible because you're going to want to have that thing opened as we, as we dig into First Peter. Peter has uh, just got a lot for us to dig into, and it's been, um, it's been a great, I think, a great opportunity to dig into this word because... Um, because these people, uh, they're, they're, they're far worse off than we will ever be uh, in their current situation and who he's writing to. Uh, we've gone over that a number of times that these people are misplaced and they're, you know, been yanked from their homes and they've been placed in a foreign land and all that. And um, so Peter's writing to them to really encourage them and to remind them of a couple important things. And these are the things that we've brought up so far. He, he's, he's, he's encouraging the believers in these foreign lands to remember a few things. One is their place of grace, that um, even though they physically are in a place they're not comfortable with, they are in, really, they are in the grace of God. And that's a good place to be, right? He's also reminding them of their salvation hope, that it's greater than anything that could ever happen to them. He's reminding them to flee from the things that are now and cling to the things that are later. So important that we, uh, we also, you know, remember that. That the things that are around us now are not going to be here for long. The later. The later is what we, we focus on, we hope for, and we put our trust in. Uh, he uh, points out that Christ is our example uh, that he is the one we are looking to and following, and we keep our eyes on Jesus. Last week, uh, he said to set apart Christ as Lord. Like, let Jesus be Lord and Savior of all that you are and all that you hope to be in your life as you live. Christ is number one. So today, Peter's word is a little different. He, his word to us today and his word to them is this, is this. We are participants in Christ's suffering. We're in chapter 4, and uh, we are participants in Christ's suffering, which is a huge, huge word uh, today of encouragement to them and to us, and what that means we're going to dig into. Uh, in Scripture, we find uh, direction. God gives us direction in a variety of ways, right? Like, He gives us commandments that we're to follow, right, in certain ways, like love the Lord your God, with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? And in the Old Testament, we had the Ten Commandments. These are commandments that God calls us, He directs us to live by. He also, um, we're also urged in a number of ways. In Acts 27, Paul's on the ship, and he urges the men to keep their courage. And so in the Scripture, we're urged to do a lot of things. Also in the scripture, we're, we find that we're almost begged. Paul says in Galatians 4, I pleaded with you, like I begged you. And uh, we're also in the scripture, we are led. We are directed by a leading, and that's uh, primarily through the Holy Spirit who leads us and guides us. But in today's passage, Peter is going to direct the believers there to participate. That we are participants with Jesus, not just in his life, but in his sufferings. That changes everything when you think about it like that. Like, because like, we normally just go about life like, okay, we're just like going through life and it should be fairly good, should be fairly decent. But Peter says, no. If you're a Christian, you are, you are a participant in the sufferings 
of Christ. So that changes our outlook right away, doesn't it? We begin to realize that this isn't about fun and games. This is about, this is about walking with Jesus no matter what that means. And especially for these people because they are truly suffering for the Lord. They have been misplaced because of their faith. So in chapter 4, he's going to share some big truths, three of them that I'm going to share with you. And we're going to just kind of read uh, one section at a time and dig into it a little bit, okay? So here we go. Chapter 4, verse 1. He says this, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourself also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to men in regard to body, but live according to God in regard to the Spirit. So the first thing he says here to the believers is Christ suffered. Christ suffered. So just in your minds, understand that as we Think about how we participate with Christ in his suffering. First understand that Jesus suffered. Christ suffered. He says right there, since Christ suffered in his body. Right? He didn't just suffer in some spiritual way. He, in his flesh, the word is sarkai, in his flesh, in his humanity, Jesus suffered. Right? He suffered in his body. He says, arm yourselves. Right? Look at the words there, right there in that first section. Arm yourselves. In other words, make ready, equip yourself for the same kind of attitude, right? With the same attitude, the same mind, the same resolve, the same focus, the same purpose, right? That we are, we are participants with Christ. He suffered, so you be ready to suffer too. Right? That kind of changes things for these people who are in a foreign land suffering because they think, why is this happening to me? And Peter's now writing to them, this is normal. You're a Christian. The one you follow suffered. Why do you think you won't? It's okay. It's normal. Right? He says, because he who suffers, look, in his body, or in his flesh, same word, sarkai, is done with sin. So in some way, when we suffer physically for Christ, somehow that eliminates sin in some way, right? The idea is like to resist or to restrain or to put an end to. So, you know, suffering in Christ or, or, or working through our, our temptations and our sin is not about escaping them or being rescued from them, but it's about going right through them. It's about overcoming them, having victory in them, having conquest, good over evil in you. Just like Christ conquered the temptations that came his way. Just like Christ suffered in the flesh and came out the other end victory, like with victory, we too will follow Christ in that way. That's, that's what it means to suffer in your body, to be done with sin, to conquer it, not just to get away from it. 
It's, the, it's about the discipline of Jesus. Like his discipline in his life being our discipline in our life. To battle these things in this world and then to win. To come out on top. Not to cave in, not to give in, not to be beat up by. In verse 2 and 3, look what Peter says. He says, sin, basically saying sin is a waste of kingdom time. When we sin, like when we give in to the temptations around us, the world stuff, when we give in to sin, we are wasting kingdom time. Look what he says. As a result, he says, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for human desires. That is, those of us who have suffered with Christ, who have done away with sin, we don't live any longer for our earthly lives or evil, evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. That's why we live, right? For the will of God. No matter what that might mean, right? No matter if that means good things or bad things or hills or valleys or whatever it means, we are surrendered to him and willing to do whatever God wants, no matter what that might be. And we see that, we see that sometimes, we get a glimpse of that in the world around us, right? In, in, in real life, we see people do that. The, the media isn't good about showing this stuff. They like to, like, hide it. Whenever somebody steps up for God or in a Christian way, they don't like promoting that stuff. But you saw recently, uh, Keith has brought this up a couple times now uh, with our youth, um, the, the, the lady, the cop, the girl who shot the black guy in the wrong room. She walked into her, she thought was her room, and there was a person in there, and she shot and killed him. You read the, the news story? Well, did you see the trial? The, the brother of the guy who died basically for, uh, forgave her, said she, he hoped that she comes to Christ. This is all on, on the news. Uh, not a lot. It's not very loud on the news. You've got to kind of look for it. But also, you know, he said, can I give you a hug and, and, and hope that, that nothing but good would happen to her? Um, you, we, one, we don't see that very loud on the news in this world. But two, that's exactly what Peter is saying that we should be about, that we don't live for earthly things anymore, but we live for the will of God that even in the midst of death or hardship, we represent Christ however we can. And sometimes those things come because it's our opportunity to represent Christ in a very real way, way like that young man did. Verse 3, for you have spent, he says, you have spent an, enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, right? How many of you know that's true about your life, right? We have wasted enough of our time in the past living in sinfulness and all these things that Peter talks about, debauchery and lust and drunkenness and orgies and carousing and detestable idolatry. Those are the things that do not represent Christ. Those are the things that Peter is saying, get rid of these things. You don't need to live like that anymore. It's a waste of kingdom time to chase after those things. You are wasting precious moments. Christ suffered, so he says, you live your life like moving in this direction with Christ, not in that direction away from Christ. Right? He's encouraging these believers that they are followers of Jesus and they move forward, that they would move forward with Jesus in this new life they would not go back to past failures or past lifestyles or habits, but they would continue to move forward because Christ suffered for them, right? They wouldn't chase after their sins. Verse 4 and 5, he says, they, right, the word they there, those, those other people, the godless people, see that? 
the pagans, they live sinfully and they're proud of it. They're proud of the way they live. They don't care about the things of God. They're just chasing after the things of this world. And they're surprised. Now think about this. These Christians in a new place that are now surrounded by foreigners who are doing these, living this way. He says, these people are surprised that you don't join in with them. You're not like, you're not just trying to become one of them. You have your own identity, and it's in Christ. And you're standing out because of that. You're not joining in with the world around you and the sinfulness of the world around you. And so what do they do? They heap abuse on you. They make up lies, right? And they reject God. But they, Peter says, they're going to give an account. They're going to give an account for the way they're living their lives. And then he says, and the, 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 the idea here is that Christ suffered for them too. Like Jesus suffered for those pagan people too. But they don't care. They, don't care. They, they could care less. They're not interested. They have their own agenda. And they don't care about the truth. They don't care about what really is going on. They want to rule. See a lot of that in our world, don't we? They want to be boss. They want to be lord of their destiny. That's what they want. Where is that going to get them? It's not going to get them far. In 1 Corinthians 1.19, it says, God says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. See, in the end, God will have the final word. Right? These people who are bent on doing evil and having it their way and lie and twist the truth will face God one day. In verse 6, again, Peter touches on this idea of, you know, Jesus' ministry when he was in the tomb, when he was uh, in the tomb for those three days. Remember that? And uh, here in verse 6, look what he says. He says, for this reason, the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, right? So that they may, so that they might be judged according to human standards, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. Remember back in chapter 3, Peter said, he went and proclaimed to the imprisoned spirits, those disobedient long ago during the time of the flood. Now, Peter's brought this up twice. It's this kind of uh, idea of teaching about what Jesus did while he was in the grave. John 5, uh, verse 25, Jesus said, remember when Jesus was uh, in his ministry, he said, very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. So Jesus indicated this kind of thing was going to happen in the tomb. And in Philippians 2.10, it says, God exalted Jesus to the highest place and, and, you know, that every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And so we, we don't know a lot about this teaching, but Peter has brought this up now twice to these people. And, and, and I, I, we don't know a lot about this, but, but I do know this. I couldn't do that. I couldn't go and preach to these people. And you can't either. Right? But Jesus can. And Jesus did. See, we know that much. That Jesus is able and has the authority to go wherever he wants. That much we know. Christ suffered, not just for us, but he, he suffered for those who came prior to him. Right? He suffered for them as well. And that's the first thing Peter says to these people is that Christ suffered. So kind of have that in your mind. Second thing is this. 
uh, verse 7, the end is near. He says the end is near. This is the next big thing that Peter is going to say in this section. Look what he says, verse 7. Let's read that. The end of all things is near. He says, therefore, be clear-minded, be self-controlled, so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it in the strength that God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. All right, so Peter is saying, look, as you live in this foreign place, separated from everyone else, it may not be fun. But remember, Christ suffered for you. And we're, we're participants, participants with Jesus in whatever it is he's doing. Whatever Jesus is up to, we just say, God, we want to participate with you even though we don't know it all. It's okay. One thing is he suffered for you, so know that. He loves you so much that he suffered for you. The next thing is this, the end is near. So hang in there, right? The end is coming. Like the end of all things is near. The final act, the conclusion of all things, right? The home stretch is in front of us. We're on that last stretch, right? The finish line is right there and we're, the end is, is so near. He says the end of all things. What's that? That's everything. The whole, right? That's what the word means. It means everything that we know, everything that you and I know. It's coming to an end. It is near, which means it's just around the corner. And it's come very close. It has come very close. And we can almost taste the end. It's that near. And he says, because the end is near, look what he says, be alert. Like, be alert, don't fall for the stuff of the world. Be sober-minded, stay, stay clear-headed, right? Be, be clear-minded, keep your eyes and your mind and your heart on him. Why? So that you can pray. So that you can hear God and God will hear you. And we'll have this connection with God that will allow us to understand what it is he wants to do in us while we're living on this earth. In other words, Peter says, don't fall asleep on the times. The end is near. Don't think that it isn't going to happen at some point. It is. He says, we are close to Christ's return. There are things that need to be done. Last minute needs. You know what that's like, right? When you're going on vacation and you're throwing things in the suitcase. I don't know about you, but I wait to the last minute to pack. If we're going to Louisville or wherever, I'm like packing 20 minutes before it's time to go. But if you're a good planner, you don't do that right. You're packing ahead of time. You're thinking last-minute things, and you're putting everything in. Like, like a hurricane is coming, and you live on the coast, and you've got to get some things together in the car and get out of there. You are like, this is it. Like, this is, I'm taking things that are most important. That's the idea that Peter's saying here. Is like the end is near. Only be about the things that are most important. Like, don't waste your time doing things that don't matter. Verse 8, he says, above all, like of key importance and priority. Above all, in the midst of all this craziness and end time stuff, love each other deeply. That's a, that's a tall command, isn't it? Because usually when you're running around, wait, you know, because the end is near, you're not thinking about everyone else, you're thinking about you. 
Peter says, in the midst of the end is near and you're trying to get your own act together, don't forget, don't forget, love each other deeply. And the reason for it is love covers a multitude of sins, right? It does. It's that 1 Corinthians 13 love. It's patient, right? It's not proud and it never fails. It covers over a multitude of sin. It doesn't, it doesn't forgive sin because we don't have the power to do that, but it does overlook it. It allows you to move on, right? And if you have a family of more than like two or three kids, you know you have to teach your kids to do that, don't you? Because they go at it. You know, the youngest and the oldest and the middle ones, they all go at it. And they get mad at certain things. They get mad at little things. They get mad at stuff. I lose my life. Um, and so they have, we all have to understand what it means to like just move on. Like move on. There's no time to worry about the past things that you didn't like. Just move on. Let it go, right? And sweeping it under the, cover, under the rug, you know, sweeping it under the rug, all it does is build up the rug. It doesn't, it doesn't go away. It's still there, and then you start tripping over it. So sweeping it under the rug doesn't work either. It's got to go. Like, you got to let it go and move on, move forward. He's in verse 9, he says, in this love, in this, like, love each other deeply, and it covers over a multitude of sin, offer hospitality to one another, right? Like, don't be afraid to open your home to people, to share with people, to do things together as believers, right? Like, go out together. Go do something. Verse 10, use your gift. Use your gift to serve others, Peter says. Like, in the midst of right where you are, don't forget, God has gifted you. Use it to serve others. Spread God's grace in various ways. Like, that's why you have the gift, is to spread the grace of God. Don't keep it to yourself. Don't hide it under a bushel. Don't, don't neglect it. Like, use it. Use your gift. So ask yourself, am I using my gift? Am I using my gift to spread the grace of God today? Right now, in my life, am I doing this? That's a big deal. And then he says, do it all like God would, right? If you speak, speak as if you're speaking the words of God. Do it in the, if you're going to serve, serve in the strength of God. Like, do it all like God would do it. And he says, in all things, God is the one that should be praised, right? It's not about me. It's not about us. It's about God being lifted up and glorified. Right, to him be all glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Peter closes that section like that. In other words, the end, the end brings about a lot of things, doesn't it? Knowing that the end is near, that brings about a lot of things. All of a sudden, there's this like sense of urgency that should be on our hearts. Like the end is near, Jesus is coming. What do I need to be doing? Uh, like I'm going to get rid of the things that are wasting my time, that are taking up time, that mean nothing, and I'm going to get busy doing the things that matter most, and those have to do with the souls of people and honoring God and finishing strong and, and serving in the mission of Jesus, right? That's what's most important. And the third thing Peter says in this section there, here is this, be ready for the fiery ordeals. All right, look what he says in uh, verse 12. Notice what he says there. Dear friends... Do not be surprised at the painful trial uh, you are suffering, right? As though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, 
you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should be as a murderer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Peter says, be ready for this fiery ordeal that is coming your way or the painful trials. Notice he says, dear friends. Like he said that all through the letter, right? Dear friends. Like, like in Italian, we would say good buddy. Like, goodbye, goodbye, right? Or beloved, the word means beloved. Like, like Peter is still considering these people like these are his friends, these are his loved ones, these are his beloved. And, and even though they're in a foreign, strange place, he's treating them as if they are his family. He's his family. He says, don't be surprised at these things that are happening to you. Like, don't be shocked, don't be caught unaware. In, in fact, in anything, like in anything and everything, expect the what? The unexpected, right? Expect the unexpected. Anticipate this fiery ordeal or these trials to come. Live knowing that anything is possible. Evil is always lurking. Evil is always wanting to take control. So don't be startled. There's nothing strange going on here. This is totally normal for planet Earth that has been hijacked by Satan. Don't be, be not astonished at the burning among you, is what uh, one translation says. Be not astonished at the burning among you. The turning up of the heat. Fiery, meaning like this is an interesting word, isn't it? Because it, it means a burning trial, like a fiery trial, like a fiery test. And in Peter's mind, you know, he knows that people his brothers and sisters have been burned at the stake during this very time some have been lit up like fiery on on their their, their bodies for the sake of nero's uh, you know garden and so fiery test is the exact word that peter uses and it's the exact idea that they understand an ordeal means a test or adversity Right, like a point of a challenge, some ordeal that has come your way, a test that has come your way. God is working for good, right? God is in you working for good in whatever's coming your way, and the enemy is working toward evil in whatever is coming your way, right? So in other words, you're in the mixer. You are in the mixer, the blender of the battle. The fiery ordeal is the testing of you, your character, in the midst of this world as you live out each day whatever you're going through you're in the mixer and the devil is trying to have his way in you and god is fighting for you and the pro and the final product of you is still under construction right of, of of your character and we understand that sometimes what crushes one person makes another stronger and the difference is the attitude of the person how we receive how we receive what's happening. 
and what we do about it, how we respond to what happens. Not what happens, but how we respond to what happens. And when we understand that we're participants in the sufferings of Christ, then when these things happen to us, we're not surprised. We're not surprised. That's what Peter's trying to say to them. Don't be surprised at these things that are happening to you. Right? God is doing his part in you. The question is, are you in it to win it? Like, are you in it to to represent Christ, to stand for God, to be all that God wants you to be in this world? Are you in it? He is. Are you? All right? And Peter says, be ready. Like, don't be thinking that life on this planet is a bed of roses or or easy, all-fun pleasure or a a promise of bliss and constant good times. Don't think for a minute that that, that, that what... What this world is about is all that there is to your life. Like this isn't all there is to life. God is saying there's so much more, not just in this world, but beyond this world that you have never even begun to dream about. What's next is what's bigger than anything you can think of. So if you think that the Grand Canyon is pretty crazy cool, and if you think that the Seven Wonders are a big and bad deal, and if you think that the galaxies are astonishingly amazing, then your view is small. See, what God has in store for our future is going to make this place, this universe, look like a small-town carnival. And Peter's trying to say, Get your mind on what's next. There's so much more God has for you. And when you get your mind on what's now, you stumble and you fall. Don't put your eggs in the basket of the here and now, Peter says. Don't put your your hope in the things around you. Instead, verse 13, look what he says, rejoice. Rejoice now. Like, be excited about where you are. And look what he says, you participate in the sufferings of Christ, if indeed you do. Rejoice in the sufferings of Christ, if indeed you are suffering with Christ. If not, there's no reason to rejoice. We only rejoice if we're actually suffering with him if we have sold out to him and surrendered completely to him. See, that's an interesting word, isn't it? We kind of understand this word participate in a very new American weak way, like the participation trophy that everyone gets. You know, everyone wins. There's no losers. You know, isn't that nice? I don't think so. But to, to participate means to, like, join in, to, like, engage, participate. It's what the church needs, right? The body to engage, to participate, everyone together, working together, serving together, using your gift together. That's what the church needs, is everyone to participate in the work of the ministry of the kingdom of God through the church. That's what we need. But, but Christ has called us to participate in, in him and his kingdom on the earth. Right? And joy, joy is coming when Christ's glory will be revealed. See what it says in verse 13? Overjoyed when his glory is revealed. So we will rejoice, not just in the participation of suffering with Christ, that we're engaged with him, but when he returns, when he comes, when his glory is revealed, you will be overjoyed because you have been right there the whole time. Verse 14, if insulted because of Jesus, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. 
If you suffer, make sure it's for Jesus. And not because you're a rebel or a criminal. If you suffer for being a criminal, you deserve it. Don't blame God. But if you suffer for Christ, rejoice. And then he says, judgment is upon us, right? Judgment, first to the household of God, to the brothers and the sisters who claim to be followers of Christ. God is looking at us, and judgment will begin with us. And then he says, next, to the disobedient, judgment will be. The rebels and the criminals and those who oppose God. And do they stand much of a chance? I don't think so. The fact is, look at verse 18, if it's hard, if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, and it is hard, Hard in that wide is the road that leads to destruction and narrow the road that leads to life. And few find it. Hard in that many are chosen, but only a few will be saved. Hard in that in the end, many will be deceived. Hard in that make every effort to enter through the narrow gate. See, if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinners? Not good things, right? Verse 19, he says, So those who suffer according to God's will, right, because you are participating with the the glory of Christ and the sufferings of Christ, should commit themselves to who? Their faithful creator. That's who. We we trust ourselves to God because even though we don't know everything that's going on, he does. And we entrust ourselves to him. And then he said, and you just continue to do good. Can you see Peter saying this to these people in this letter? Look, you may not know everything that's going on, and that's okay. Just trust yourself to your faithful creator who loves you, and it's suffered for you. And just continue to do good. Just do that. Just keep doing those things, even though it may not seem like any progress is being made. Just keep doing that, and good things will happen. Good things will happen. God will come through in the end. Remember in the book of Acts, chapter 5, Peter and the apostles were doing miracles and healings, and um, they were arrested, right? So they're arrested, and they're they're threatened not to do these things. And they're, they're, um, you know, and Peter says in the midst of being threatened by the Sanhedrin and the leaders and the high priest, Peter says, you know, we must obey God rather than men. And what a great statement, right? Peter standing up and saying, look, you can do what you want to us, but we're going to live for God. That's what we're going to do. We've already decided, and you can kill us, you can burn us at the stake, you can hang us on a cross, it doesn't matter. Christ suffered for us, and we're willing to suffer for him. That's beautiful, isn't it? Isn't that good? Well, they, 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 they uh, keep threatening the apostles, and Gamaliel, he's a teacher of the law, he asks the apostles to leave the room, and he has this, this speech in Acts 5 that he gives to these guys about how they should handle the situation. And look at this, this little passage. I don't know if you can see that up there, but this is in chapter 5. His speech persuaded them. And so here's what they do. They called the apostles in, and they had them flogged. Well, they didn't just let them go, but they beat the tar out of them. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go as if that was going to help, right? That wasn't going to slow them down, was it? But then look at verse 41. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing. Rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. What name? The name of Jesus, that name. And day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped 
teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. Wow. These guys, these apostles, you know, Peter is telling these believers in a foreign place that they should live for Christ. They participate in his suffering. He suffered for you. The end is near. And, and we're going to participate with Jesus in his ministry and in his suffering. And they lived it. They aren't just say, do this, but we see that they did this. What an awesome encouragement that is to us, isn't it? That they suffered for Christ and then they rejoiced in it that they were participants with Jesus in his ministry and in his suffering. See, we're, we are participants with Christ in his suffering as we live on this earth. And in the midst of your battles on earth, whatever that may look like in your life, and Peter's word to you is the same as it was to them. Remember, like Christ suffered for you. Hang in there. Keep fighting. Keep fighting. Remember, the end is near. Just hang in there a little longer. Just keep plugging away. And number three, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that's coming your way. Don't be shocked as if something strange were happening to you. It's going to happen. And I can tell you, you and I both know in this world that we live in as it unfolds, it's getting worse. It's not going to get better. The end is near. Christ is going to come. And all that matters is, are you ready? Do you trust in the Lord? Are you trusting in the Lord? That's all that is going to matter when the end finally gets here. Father, we love you so much, and we need you, Lord. We need you more than we'll ever know that we need you. And we're so thankful for this letter and for these words that Peter shares with Christians, people just like us, living in a different time, put in a strange place, but are striving to honor you in their life just like we are. They're bombarded by all kinds of things around their life and their world, just like we are. God, we need you. We need you more than we'll ever know. And I pray that you'll build into us that our view of life and the planet will be that of one that, that we are participating with you in your mission, in your life, in your ministry, and that you came to suffer and die for us. And our view is the same, that we're here to suffer with you. We're not here to have a good time on planet Earth like a, it's an amusement park. We're here to, to honor and to live the mission of Christ on this Earth, whatever that might mean for us. Willing to die for you, Lord, because you died for us. And we need you. We love you. We give you thanks. Teach us how to do that more. Teach us how to live for you, Father. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.